0: Welcome to Ambition to Impact, a climate action podcast powered by climate impact partners. In today's episode, Shara Beckley, senior manager in our client solutions team, talks to Jonquil Hackenberg, experienced consultancy business leader, influencer, and sustainability change maker. During 2023, Jonquil took on the role as inaugural CEO of Unomia Research and Consulting, specialist in the circular economy, focused on helping companies and governments figure out how to use less of everything in the first place and reuse all that has been used more effectively and creatively. As John Kors says, in this decisive decade as we address climate adaptation, we need to be striving for Unwasted. Simple as that. Unwasted is the applied circular economy. Her passion for sustainability does not start and end with her job. She holds a host of external positions focused on the circular economy, climate response and gender equality, including as trustee of the UK Design Council, member of the World Economic Forum's Futures Council for SDG Investment and strategic advisor to Sati, which you'll hear more on later. So today we're going full circle with John Cole Hackenberg to learn about her journey from ambition to impact.
1: It's hard to know where to start, but let's begin with your current role. You joined Unomia in 2023 as their first CEO and in your first role as CEO. Tell us a bit about Unomia and what you do.
2: Sure. Well, so Unomia um, is full of passionate, deep-seated experts is probably the best way to describe it. We're about 150 people globally. Um, and we focus on everything around reuse, regenerate, conserve. So looking at new, new systems, but also looking at the materiality of, uh, of solutions. And so we advise policy. So, for example, we're advising the European Commission around the uh, plastic strategy and the packaging strategy. And that in turn allows us to then advise private sector clients on what's the implications of, of such policy. But we also do really cool stuff like redesigning our collection systems in, for example, Glasgow or uh, around London. And so having that kind of granular knowledge of what what it means to actually collect waste means that we can actually be really pragmatic in the solutions we we provide. Better systems thinking. And in that, what has been
1: um, so far your biggest learnings as CEO?
2: So the the biggest thing is that we've done so many different things and focusing Unomia and what we are externally so it's easier for us to partner has been really my primary focus. So we've got loads of people who are so passionate about everything from marine to land to plastics to aluminium that just finding um, a core message... That um, what we're really, really good at as a collective so that we can amplify our impact has been kind of the biggest challenge, really, but the most exciting thing to land on.
1: And with that, is there anything you've implemented that you are particularly proud of?
2: Well, I'm super proud of the fact that at the beginning of October, we launched the nine day fortnight. And um, why is that important? It's because if you're working in climate, it's actually big, big ticket items and big problems you're, you're solving for and thinking for the whole day. And that's quite overwhelming if you're trying to address it and finding your voice and a solution that's going to roll up and have a greater impact. And so we thought, well, what can we do by paying forward to our employees as they're giving back for all of us so every other friday is off for us uh which is it's honestly revolutionary and life-changing yeah because you need you need those times to just pause and catch your breath exactly and spend time with family and friends and digest everything basically that's
1: a tip we could all take away
2: (laughs) um and now just thinking about
1: the industry specifically with regards to the circular economy, I mean, being in the voluntary carbon market, especially now where definitions are evolving and the pace of change is at a rate that's, you know, all too well, I found that it's really important to just take it back to basics on, you know, what it is that we're trying to solve. So with that in mind, could you please simplify what the circular economy means?
2: Yeah, so it's basically how do we use less of what we've got and reuse that which we have. So it's almost moving away from recycling to that recycling is almost becoming passe or will become passe. It's still obviously really important. We should still keep doing it, but reuse um, and redesign. So repurposing things, connecting different industries. So the waste of one industry becomes the value of another industry. That's really what the circular economy is.
1: I think in the climate space, more broadly, there's often the accusation of an alphabet soup of acronyms and terminology. I'd say the voluntary carbon market could be responsible for about 70% of them. So I think this message is something we can certainly and should all take forward. And you can see that really well thinking about your example with the redesigning the recycling waste systems, because then the system is set in place for us to be able to just allow that to flow right? Exactly right. And so with the plethora of tools in the Climate Action Toolbox, why do you think the circular economy
2: has such an important role to play? I think it's at the centre, we talk a lot about decarbonisation, which of course is really, really important, but it's quite intangible for a lot of people. And, um, you know, many companies make commitments to science-based targets, to net zero, all of these amazing things. But the reality is, when the rubber hits the road, they're not going to meet that because they haven't really fully understood what they've signed up to. So, we're in we're in a dangerous place now of a lot of greenwashing or, or companies being called out for greenwashing and really understanding the circular economy, understanding the embedded carbon, so the the carbon that's needed to produce a product or a service together with the embedded carbon within water and and the associated waste is just a real opportunity to redesign waste out of the system and therefore automatically reduce carbon and reduce water uh, at the same time.
1: Why is it important, or as a follow-on to that, why should businesses
2: and governments engage with this? Because it's an opportunity, really, to, to do this properly. So rather than just saying, right, let's move to, I don't know, let's move to scope one and two, brilliant, we're moving to renewable energy solutions. You know, what does, what does that mean? What happens to the end-of-life wind turbine not thought through. So we we still think in our design of even of decarbonisation, we're still thinking in a very linear fashion. Um, Electric vehicles, what happens to the batteries at the end of them. So just thinking about how can we reuse those rare earth minerals and put them back into the iPhone we're using or the Tesla car we're driving, whatever it might be, all of that's not really thought through. And so engaging in that is ultimately going to solve for a bigger, bigger problem. And it's a systemic change.
1: I feel you like, you've answered what I, what I was going to um, follow on, but just digging into that a bit deeper. How do you work with um, governments and businesses to create a more circular and sustainable ecosystem?
2: So from a UNOMIA perspective, um, because we're deep-seated experts in policy, that means we need to be able to write policy in a way that's understandable so that businesses can engage and and deliver upon that policy, as can government. So it needs to be written in plain English, basically. And, And so having both sides of the, you know, having the material scientist experts but having the policy experts, but also social behavioural scientists means that you're designing a policy that you can actually engage with and understand. And I think that's the biggest problem. A lot of it's so difficult and complex that people don't even know where to start or where to prioritise. Yeah.
1: Definitely. And it goes back to your point about it being sort of intangible when we think about decarbonisation. And this is something interesting that we find when we work with companies that are starting to measure the footprint of their entire company or operational footprint or a particular product or even an event. And they start to see everything along the way that has created that footprint. It really brings it to life for them. It becomes tangible. Looking to the future, how do you see the circular economy evolving in the next decade? And what role do you think businesses will play in driving this transformation?
2: I think we're going to see um, blurring of lines between different industries. So going back to that whole point around, uh, you know, the waste of one industry is the, the value or the gift for another industry. I think we're going to start to see new businesses emerging, new business models emerging accordingly. And if you think about reuse as a concept, in order to design, so if we think recycling is collecting, curbside collection, um, and it basically goes to recycling units typically provided by a government or local authority, which is maybe supported by a private sector waste collection. Reuse means we've got to think about, Everything from supermarkets, like how do people refill things in supermarkets, through to reusing materials that they ordinarily would throw away. So it's kind of community needs to engage with local authority, which needs to overlay and engage with business. And that's complex. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see smaller city projects that are trying to address all of those things at once to affect a system change.
1: It's exciting.
2: (laughs) Um, Bringing
1: us back to today, what do you think is holding um, government back or businesses back from engaging in the circular economy? Well, governments,
2: it's always down to bloody politics, isn't it? It's about, about the next election. And so everyone holds spend until they've repositioned their thoughts, not talk, pointing to any country in particular at the moment, because it probably goes for anyone. So that's so that's one problem. The second thing is, it's just priorities, genuinely priorities. So how do you prioritise that over education? How do you prioritise that over infrastructure? Um, when the education is needed today now and climate can always wait a little bit because it's not now. So it's like, how do we make small changes that make ultimately a big difference over time? So that's one massive thing that's holding us back. The second thing is everyone thinks if we solve for um, decarbonisation, then that's the silver bullet and and the reality is water is going to probably be our biggest challenge. It's going to to be the reason for mass migration, whether it's floods or droughts, it's going to be the reason for um, infrastructure collapse because of the same things. And so thinking things through how does it all play together is another challenge and then I'd say the third one is it, it comes back to comms, like basic understanding of what do we need to do and why now. And it, it shouldn't be like this doomsday foreboding that we kind of position all the eco-warriors about. It should be this is possible if we do X, Y and Z. We need to change the narrative. Yeah, definitely.
1: And we're hearing it more and more with regards to the circular economy. So do you think it's become mainstream
2: Do you know, I don't know what the answer is to that because we're so involved in circular economy if we're all working the space, right? So we understand it. I'm not sure the everyday human does know what that means. So therefore, let's stop talking about that. Let's talk about waste, for example. Let's keep it... Let's talk about unwaste, unwasted. That's simple language that everyone can engage with. Um, And so, no, it's definitely not mainstream, but people are starting to think about it. Changing systems, you know, moving to a refill model necessitates a certain pocket and ability to spend. It's still kind of a a rich person's problem. Um, And so... Leveraging ideas from, you know, the global south where, you know, where they just do that as a matter of course. It's like taking ideas from other parts of the world and not just assuming we're going to solve everything in London, I think would be a very good way to go about it. It's almost like you knew my next question, um, which is just about that. So speaking
1: about the global south or other locations, are there any locations where it's becoming mainstream or that are good examples to reference?
2: I still don't think it is mainstream anywhere, is my view. Um, What I would say is um, when companies, particularly if you think about fast moving consumer goods in particular and how they design their supply chains. And so the supply chains, which is obviously scope three, which is where we really need to focus on circular economy, it's it's typically impacting the global south because it's cheaper to produce things there, whether it's food or fashion, whatever it is, and so and that is of course where resources, natural resources, are most constrained because of weather and because of mass populations, and so th- rethinking how we make global supply chains go local, um, so that it it happens within a certain parameter or perimeter, I think, is something that we need to really reconsider. And thinking
1: about specific initiatives or projects you know me is currently working on, or that you have worked on in the past, that really highlight the innovative nature of the circular economy. Um, like the example that comes to mind is at Saathi, where you're a strategic advisor. They developed the first 100% natural biodegradable sanitary pads using banana leaves didn't they
2: yep yeah banana stem fibers exactly yeah so i just i can't talk about sati enough i just like i'm literally their world's number one fan um so they i met them through catapultation which is the norwegian um fund focused on uh, sustainable development goal 14 life below water and what they've done is sati means friend in hindi so not only have they created um, sanitary products uh, made from banana stem fibres and others, they've hired 100% women in their factories. They've broken the taboo around periods, particularly in India, which is where they're headquartered. Um, they've gone from farm to farm in the north. So there's two founders, and uh, Tarun and Kristen, and Tarun's just basically gone and knocked on farmers' doors and said, would you like more money for the banana stems, which is ordinarily waste? To which the answer, of course, is yes, please. To which they then insist that they use that money to send their children to school. So they're making system change. And they're just, I mean, awesome humans with an amazing story. And, you know, 28 million girls drop out of school every year in India when they get their periods because it's taboo. So breaking all of that and just thinking the system socioeconomic change that you can make by touching environment as well is basically where we need to get to.
1: It's really great that you're talking here about the connections to the sustainable development goals and wider changes beyond climate impact alone. This is something central to the voluntary carbon market, where project impacts are measured against the SDGs too. Um, A good example is clean cooking projects, which both reduce emissions created through the burning of firewood, but also have enormous community impact for women and children in particular. And how can businesses embed The circular economy strategies into their wider climate strategies?
2: So focusing on specific individual brands of their large organizations is is one very good way to do it or collaborating with with others. Um, So, you know, focusing on, for example, there's an initiative at the moment um, redesigning a universal bottle um, in, in FMCG, Fast Moving Consumer Goods, which is a collaboration between different ordinarily competitors, because they realise it will be much easier for reuse design and system design. And it's a bit like in 2015, I think it was, there was a realisation again from FMCG, which was initiated by Unilever but then um, they brought in P&G and Gillette and everything and it was hashtag unstereotype and that's when we started to see the change between adverts of women doing the washing up and the men sitting in the sofas and uh, so that all flipped around and Gillette started you know redefining masculinity and it was okay for men to cry or yeah it's really powerful and that was like we need to change the industry because this is wrong and so in a similar fashion you're starting to see these initiatives around redesign for circular economy like the bottle
1: and where everyone, like you have mentioned earlier, you know, SBTI, but where we're thinking about net zero targets, are there any other examples that you can think of with regards to how they've been able to embed the circular economy into a net zero strategy, for example?
2: One, one example on this is um, Loop, which is a, a collection system. It's a reuse system. It's a refill effectively. So Loop as a solution, and that's one of many refill solutions. There's also another one called Beauty Kitchen, which I've come across recently. Um, they are effectively designing that whole concept, which is, I guess it stemmed from Germany and Northern Europe, which is you you pay a, a deposit for your bottles, right? And then you return it and you get your 15 cents or whatever it might be. They're doing the same thing for the beauty industry. So you can refill your shampoos or you can refill your you know your creams or whatever. not 15 cents it's typically two or three euros per bottle but they're beautifully and stylishly designed again playing to a richer purse but the point is that won't work in isolation of just one png it needs to work with a nestle unilever a diageo a l'oreal whatever it might be and so the system design of reuse and refill is then impacting myriad circular economy strategies that are ultimately going to contribute to less waste.
1: Bingo. Um, Are there any misconceptions about the circular economy that you frequently encounter? And what would your response be?
2: Well, what is the circular economy would be probably one. Because it just sounds like, I don't know, very academic language. Mm. It sounds impossible to achieve. So just breaking that down, again, going back to the concept of unwasted. And we we spent a long time going, what does this mean for a three-year-old? Like breaking everything down to climate has to be for a three-year-old because Nobody is big enough to solve this problem on their own. Therefore, it has to be an inclusive global strategy because climate, you know, is greater than the sum of any individual self or organisation. So I'd say, yeah, going back to language and simplicity is largely the problem. And, you know, talking about circular economy and solving it for one brand or one single product, but not for the rest of your strategy. It's a bit like ethical you know, ethical clothing, we do 10% ethical clothing. It's like, well, what's the rest? Is that child labour? You know, so it's just, it doesn't play well to your dialogue and narrative if you're not really thinking a bit more holistically. I couldn't agree more. And this is
1: something I talk about a lot with clients. And I think we need to find these connections and how one action triggers the next. Speaking of dialogue and narrative um, and just overlaying sort of the urgency and need what are what do you think are the most effective ways to communicate the urgency in which governments and businesses need to act on climate so connecting it to that 3 year old
2: i think we do a lot of as I said before, like doom and gloom, the end of the world is nigh, and everyone is just kind of numb to that language. So showcasing solutions and how we can scale up is is really, really key. Um, So, for example, there's a part of the World Economic Forum called Uplink, which actually does stuff rather than talks about stuff. And what they do is they convene investors and they convene startups to have dialogues around What's preventing us from scaling this up? And we've got enough innovation, is my perspective. We don't need new innovation with people who want to save the world with new ideas. What we really need is the ability to scale up and industrialise technologies and join different parts of the value chain together. That's really key. So a solution for scaled up financing to match scaled up innovation is really, really important. Thank you. Um,
1: Switching gears slightly, I suppose this is a bit more on a personal note, you use your expertise and clear passion for sustainability in so many roles outside of your job as chair for the Magenta Project, trustee of the UK Design Council, member of the World Economic Forum's Futures Council for SDG Investment and strategic advisor to Sati and lead mentor for Catapult Ocean. What inspires you to give your time to these projects and companies?
2: So I'm I'm just really passionate about this space. And I guess um, when I started out in sustainability or really understanding sustainability, which was probably 2012, really, um, when I did an MBA in renewable energy, and I didn't even know how electricity worked at the time. So, you know, there was that. Um, That was that felt very alien to my day job of working in digital transformation, large scale change at my job at then Infosys, and over time I've just kind of brought these things together, so it doesn't feel like I'm doing myriad things. It's it's basically the same part of the same narrative. It's my story. A lot of it centered around ocean because I love sailing, and because it gave me so much joy, but also so many life skills. Um, It's not just about drinking gin and tonics, it's very much rolling up your sleeves, helping people, um, fixing things, reusing things, you know, all of those things. And it was so important to me as a child that that has driven a lot of my passion and understanding of oceans. And therefore that's why I took on the Magenta Project role to, you know, how do we get more change, more women into sailing? for example and to me sailing is a reflection of the corporate workplace and um, because it's the only sport where you need multidisciplinary skills all in one team which doesn't necessitate just men or just women so all of that kind of interlinks so i guess to answer your question in a very long-winded way um it it's just really linking everything. It just feels like the next part of a story, and I'm always connecting things in my head and just figuring out who I can introduce to whom. Because, again, like we're not going to solve for this unless we connect people, and so that is really driving a lot of me. Because I think that will drive a lot of change in the world that we need to see quickly.
1: That transformational change. As you were speaking, I was envisaging this um, this quilt where all the pieces come together. Oh, that's really nice.
2: Well. I like that.
1: Um, Speaking of a quilt, uh, what are you most proud of through these roles?
2: I'm proud of the fact that my daughters are moving in this direction. So they, you know, my eldest, Alaya, she's 11 and a bit. They just recently moved to Glasgow and she stood for the eco committee and her pitch was around, well, because mummy's let me see if you know me yet. and I believe in Unwasted and she would actually like to rename the company to No Time to Waste which I think is awesome and I think it's a bit yeah. it's very strong probably quite heavily influenced by James Bond but, <laughs> that um, works it works right we but, need our but going back to language and mm. and translating and constantly translating it back to them yeah. so the next generation understands I'm proud of that I'm proud of the fact that you know in some way, I get to see all these amazing solutions that are out there and help people connect so that they can scale and move on. Um, And I think that's really exciting. And I guess on a personal note, I'm proud that I've managed to shift my entire focus to be in this space, rather than doing it as kind of a a side job. I think that's been really important to me.
1: Really inspiring. Um, Before we let you go, and finally, a question we ask all our guests. Who do you know or follow that has moved their ambition to tangible impact? And why did they inspire you?
2: I have to say, um, Joe Papineski, who's the founder of Unamia, he just lives and abides by everything unwasted. So in, in very simple ways, ways that might be really shocking, but it makes me self-check. So for example, um, we were at a conference around, uh, and this would be a great example of how we need to change the dialogue. It was around the impact of plastic on human health. If we were to talk about that, we'd all be recycling and reusing tomorrow, I guarantee you. Anyway, we were at this conference and at the end, you know, there were drinks and canapes and it wasn't our conference just to highlight that we had to go on somewhere else and there were lot there was lots of food left and he took two Tupperware boxes out and just took some of the food because it was just going to go to waste and I was kind of really sh- shocked um but the point being it made me go oh that's a really good idea I didn't really think about that and in a similar way we have a another wonderful woman who works at You Know Me Acelia, and we had a, a weekend away just after I joined she went and collected via the oleo app where you can get food from supermarkets that's going to be thrown out she cycled all the way to the other side of london to get 50 baguettes took them to the week away foraged for garlic and made garlic bread for 100 people so just the the sense of self-value set against the value of the company is pretty pretty impressive i have to say so that inspires me
1: that's amazing that's really (laughs) walking the talk yes thank you very much John Quill it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today
2: thank you very much for letting me be here enjoyed it
0: thank you for joining us for today's episode of Ambition to Impact we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and are left feeling inspired be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode and if you found today's conversation valuable please consider leaving us a review Your feedback means a lot to us and helps others discover the show. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn at Climate Impact Partners, where you'll have access to behind-the-scenes footage, updates and much more. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes where we'll continue our journey from ambition to impact.